You're listening to the Label Machine series, a podcast to inspire and help indie record labels and artists to build income streams for their music. I'm Nick Sadler, a music entrepreneur that has helped start and run multiple indie record labels. In this series, I'll be speaking with music industry leaders about their experience and the lessons they learn on how they both market and grow their music income. Welcome to the Label Machine series where we discuss with successful industry professionals how artists and labels market and sell music. My name is Nick Sadler and today's guest is singer-songwriter Rob Bravery. Rob has been compared to the sounds of Radiohead and James Blake. He's released numerous albums over the last 10 years after being signed to a major publishing deal. Originally from Bristol, UK, Rob now resides in Melbourne, Australia and his latest album, Agrophobia's Bossa Nova has just been released this month. So, Rob, how are you today? <laughs> I wasn't expecting the real spiel to come out, but that's great. I'm fine, man. I'm fine. I've, uh, I've uh, done my research. <laughs> yeah, you have. I'm, yeah. Uh, though some of those things were true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, um, what, what so, you're in Melbourne at the moment. What time is it there? Uh, it's about 7 a.m. Right, so I've actually been I've been up since about five because on Friday mornings here, uh, the basically all of Melbourne's bins get collected outside my front door. Uh, well, it seems like that many anyway, and there's a large truck. <laughs> it's sort of um, yeah, it's quite disturbing. Uh, but I've become quite used to it, so I've been up for a while. I'm, I'm oh, nice. On my second coffee. Had your oh, nice. Had your coffee. <laughs> Um, okay, so we're just going to get into a bit of history. Um, how did you, how did you get started in the um, in the music industry? Like, what was your kind of first, I guess, uh, band or live show? Um, oh man, I think I used to play music with my older brother when I was about fifteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a number of rock bands going on. I used to sort of try and shoehorn my way into those, did loads of gigs with him. I guess that was my first experience, um, and that was in Bristol. Uh, but actually, like, I don't know, I, m- I moved to Bath at about the age of 20 uh, and started trying to write songs more seriously myself and then take, I don't know, take, take the idea of a music career a bit more seriously at that point. Um, and yeah, and then I uh, kind of started, started playing a lot of that circuit in Bath for a while, then moved to London in about, I think it was about 2006, 2007. And yeah, I guess slowly crept up the, the ladder of, of getting somewhere with it. You know, I actually started playing as a session player for a couple of bands. And that was a good in for meeting people. Uh, so I, I played keyboards for a number of bands around that period. Met who would become my manager um, for my solo career uh, around that time. And yeah, that's kind of when things like, I don't know, things started to happen. But, but I think it's important to state at this point that, you know, I wouldn't necessarily describe myself as a successful solo artist by any stretch. You know, it's like my, my career has been, it's been interesting. There's like lots mm. of different variations and what I've tried to achieve but I've ne- I, if I'm not the kind of I'm obviously not a, su- a successful singer-songwriter so I, I'm not gonna yeah, I, yeah I think I want to get into that a little bit later on as well because <laughs> you know I I think as well like what does you know people have got different what versions. success yeah, what, exactly like yeah. I mean if you can if you can be making 
if you can be making music, making a career, paying your rent, doing music, which you do, yeah. in a lot of people's yeah. eyes, you're a successful artist. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, maybe if, you know, when you've been on tour and you've been rubbing shoulders with what people would like, you know, the, the traditional super successful yeah. people doing top 40s. Yeah, in those eyes, maybe, um, maybe it's been a different deal. But, yeah. um, but you know, we are, we, are, we are really talking about um, the independent world as well. And, you know, and I, and I think for me anyway, if, if, you can, if you can make a living doing your music, you know, I think that's yeah. success. Because it's incredibly hard even to get to that point. There's a lot of people that don't even make it that far. So Yeah, I, I, I agree. And it's not that I'm not trying to, I wouldn't want to turn the conversation in, in a, a realm of like, okay, this is ridiculous because I'm not successful. It's more yeah. a case of it's, it's better to be clear on what we're talking about. Because me talking about my timeline as a singer-songwriter from you know, the age of 15 and doing what, what you hear, let's say you get Joni Mitchell on the phone and you're like, hey, so tell us about your early experiences with music. It makes a bit more sense. Whereas with me, it has been, uh, it's a bit more of an interesting, mm. uh, sorry, not more interesting than Joni Mitchell's life. <laughs> a bit more interesting, actually. Are you comparing yourself um, to Joni Mitchell? Yeah. I would, but hers has not been as interesting as mine, so it's not really comparable. <laughs> so, um, so talking yeah. about not having a successful music career, um, yeah. you then got a major publishing deal. So how did that come about? <laughs> well, yeah, no, no, this is the thing. It's, I would compare, like, so I've had a number of deals. Mm -hmm. uh, they went from big to slightly smaller. You know, it's like, I don't know, maybe three or four different either record or publishing deals yeah. throughout that I think it was between about 2010 and 2017. Um, and the thing is, the, the deals come about um, and you either capitalize on, on them. And I think, you know, like as a writer, I, I think this is an important distinction to make. I would describe myself as somebody that can write music relatively well. And I've since made a, a career work, you know, in that field. But what I tried to be initially was a writer and a performer and the whole package. And that was confusing. I just assumed that that was going to be something I could achieve. But I got my initial signings with labels based, well, just off the back of being a decent writer. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is you, you, know, you then realize that there's so much you have to deliver as a human being or as an mm -hmm. identity you know, in that realm. Uh, and I being a performing artist as well as a writer. Yeah, yeah, performing. Not only that, but like going on bloody radio, talking to mm. people, all these things that didn't come naturally to me, um, or whatever it might have been. Uh, you know, it could. They ask you to do all kinds of stuff, basically, when mm. you sign to a label, and suddenly I was under a lot of pressure to do those things, and I, and I realized I couldn't do it. But it took me about five or six years to realize that it wasn't mm. for me. So now you know, uh, I've, I've managed to, I guess, fall into something that en enables me to use my skills as a writer, but I don't have to do any of that stuff and mm. I can still make a reasonable revenue stream from it. Mm. But it's not something that I would, it's not something I expected to happen or I ever, I never sat down as a kid and thought, well, you, sh I, you should be doing that, you know? Yeah. Did, when, with the, with going back to the publishing deal though, like how, how much of a difference did it did it actually make to your career at the time, and how much of a difference did it make in hindsight? Um, yeah, I guess like it was good to get some money, in particular. You know, at that point, I was I never had any cash, 
while I was making my first album, uh, struggling to survive in London. So yeah, it was good that we got an injection of money. It was also like a moment of validation from, uh, it was EMI music at the time. So it's sort of like, well, that's cool. This is, this is we, you know, I haven't been wasting my time. That's a good feeling. But in terms of like opening doors, I think with, with just publishing, because what, what I really needed, I think, was not only a publishing deal, but uh, a really good independent label to get behind the project I was doing that would invest in, in me and, know, and try to understand the type of artist I was and then send me into the right areas, uh, get the right band, all that stuff, get the right shows, the right support slots. But unfortunately, just a publishing deal at that point wasn't really enough to launch the project I was doing. And I actually got kind of bundled in with uh, their other recent signings at the time, which were kind of major pop stars. Uh, and it didn't really add up. I felt like kind of the sort of uh, illegitimate child of, of EMI for like for a period. I, I don't know whether they saw it that way. I think they probably just forgot all about me to, to, to some extent, you know, because I wasn't. The, uh, the gnawing of the tin that they just, that just yeah, they do. come through. Yeah. Do, would do you agree? Definitely. Would you agree with that? You know, there is that sort of myth or industry thing that majors, you know, they sign 10 artists expecting nine to go nowhere and one to blossom. And, and like in your experience, did you find that was the case? I think it's probably like the tail end of that, that version of the business model for the industry. Cause I think that's probably doesn't happen anymore. No one's got mm. enough money to do that. Uh, but like definitely in the nineties, definitely in the early noughties, there would have been tons of labels still trying to do that. Cause it makes sense, right? You can, and particularly if you're doing like reasonably small signings, one of them's going to bloom if you've got a decent, if you've got a decent headhunter walking around, like watching the gigs and stuff. Mm. Mm. So, so something else I, I, uh, I want to talk about though, with, you know, getting, getting noticed as well. And I think this probably happened in your period when in that seven years is you uh, decided to do a, as a way of, um, yeah, I guess finding a new audience. Um, you decided to do a Lana Del Rey cover and um, you put that together and that ultimately led to you working with her as well, which which was a bit of a like a, a, a kind of rogue way of going about stuff. Do, can you just talk us through that? Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I actually, in that particular case, uh, I quite like the song. So that was one of the big pop stars that I'm referring to that got signed to EMI at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, as in, it was, it was about the exact same time that we signed there. And the guy that signed me plays the track that they were about to release ahead of its release. And I thought well, that's pretty cool. Uh, and I, I, I like, despite being like a, a pretty alternative writer, I quite like pop music and I've always tried to stay abreast of what's going on. And I think like I heard that song and I thought that's a great example of a pop, like an out pop song. Uh, and it, and uh, yeah, we, we just covered it because we liked it, as in me and my band, we filmed it at home. Mm -hmm. And um, it was in the, in the days as well, because uh, this is about 10 years ago, where I think if you post something on YouTube at that point, uh, and it's tagged reasonably well, then it, it has the potential to just get quite big, um, or, you know, get... Get recognised. Hundred thousand views because it because it's good content. I think these days YouTube is a 
it's slightly more convoluted, or not just slightly, but it's, it's very difficult. If you were trying to start a new YouTube channel at this point, it's such a known revenue stream that every man and his dog is, is doing that exact thing. There's just so much content up there that it would be very unlikely that one clip like that from the off, as in your first post, would actually be successful. Yeah, so anyway, that, that's how it happened. And yeah, I think they just like literally, uh, Lana saw the clip, said, do you wanna, do you wanna work together? Do you wanna do something? You know, that was it. But that's, that was, I don't think that would happen necessarily in 2020. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you, you were saying you got uh, off the back of the publishing deal, you, you got different various indie uh, label deals for your albums. Um, how, yeah, how did you find the experience of working with a indie record label um, as, a, as an independent artist? Um, yeah. Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, the first indie label I worked with uh, were really nice. They, they, they weren't particularly wealthy. Like, they didn't have like a lot of money to invest in it. It was like, they liked the record, they wanted to put it out. Um, we did an extensive campaign trying to get somewhere with it. Um, I feel that they did everything they could really. They, they, um, you know, they probably spent a fair bit of cash by the end of the process. Uh, I liked working with them. I mean, like, I think I, unfortunately <laughs> the, the answer to this question is slightly, as much as I'd like to give like a broad, a broad response for somebody that might be listening that is, mm. you know, wants the information or the inside track on that mm. situation. In my case, I was extremely, I was going through a period of my life where I was extremely pedantic and controlling. Uh, so I basically was like riding people like a moron, expecting everything to, to go my way and not really listening to the way they wanted to promote my music at the time. So unfortunately, I think that, that um, that coupled with, uh, as I said earlier, like an inability to deliver personally on, in, in some other areas of what I needed to do as a solo artist, uh, probably led to it being not quite as successful as it would have, I would have hoped. Mm. Um, but yeah, like working with an indie label, I found much more, uh, I don't know, I found it a lot, more useful than, than the experience I had with a major publisher. You know, there's no massive amounts of red tape in order to get a conversation with somebody. Um, you know, I could just reach out an email and we could discuss how we want to make things work. Um, so pretty much everything was an option and they were extremely accommodating, um, you know, in terms of taking my ideas on board. So it was cool. Mm. So I guess, you know, so you were you were saying working with a with a label, I guess, let them do their thing. So how would that? How would you contrast that with when you self released an album um, and you thought, you know, I'd, I'd I'll, I'll do it myself. I'll kind of put all that together. How was that experience in comparison? Um, well, again, man, it's a great question. Uh, might not be hundred percent applicable to me, uh, just because my version of releasing my own work uh, as a solo artist and this is this is the thing I, I probably should stress is that my work as a solo artist or anything I've done as a solo artist since the period where I had label involvement has been more of a hobby I'd say whereas 
you know, my work as in my freelance based work as a producer and writer is something completely different. So what I've done in terms of releasing things uh, without a label since, it's just, I've literally done no, no work to create a successful release. I would post something and On leave Bandcamp. it there. Leave it in the in the ether and just see what happens, you know. And and I'm quite aware that nothing happens and it, it won't happen because I just don't have the energy to to invest in that stuff. So I would I'd say I would imagine posting something on Bandcamp with a reasonable campaign that you create yourself, uh, you know, and following uh, all the the many things you can potentially do as an independent artist. Is actually a great idea, but my experience with it, unfortunately, is limited. Mm. You touched on um, like creating alternative income streams, um, you know, which you've moved into in recent years. So, how important would you say these are for an indie artist these days? Um, probably quite important, I would say. Uh, Unless, unless, <laughs> so you're either, you're either rich already, right? So you've either got some money or your parents have got some money um, and, or you've saved a ton or whatever. Was it called a trustafarian? Tru- yeah, 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 right. So you're either one of those um, or you are a successful independent artist, which is something that is extremely hard to achieve. I'd say uh, there's great, there's, examples of people that have done it really well and like and when I actually go onto Bandcamp for example and look at how people have um, uh, yeah created a nice little niche a little world for themselves selves on Bandcamp I'm, I'm just I'm quite in awe of how that's happened and I think that's great um, it seems like a good community there that people kind of support each other and even through my me- meager experience of putting stuff up there recently um, you do quickly learn that people, and I, I've actually, I put my stuff up there for free, but you quickly learn that people want to donate money. Uh, and I'm always amazed because I've, you know, you go in there thinking it's, you know, feeling quite skeptical about it, but people want to give you money for your music. Um, so yeah, like, sorry, going back to the question, I'd say, obviously it takes a long time. Like if you're starting from scratch and you want to be an independent artist, you're going to need some some other form of revenue coming in um, until you break, you know, mm. whatever product you're putting out there, and it's a success. Um, so yeah, so do if you can make it in music, then great. Whether you're teaching or like um, God knows, or you just want to work any other random job, I don't know. But yeah, so for you- me, I yeah, for me, I um, I think I have sought a music based job because I just don't really feel at this point in my life, I'm able to do anything else effectively. Um, and, and also like it's, yeah, I don't, I, I don't really want to do anything else. Mm. Yeah. So I guess for some people that might not know what, like, you know, as a, as a music producer, what are other areas in which you can, um, you know, which you can generate money. Um, you know, what are some of the areas that you might be working in, um, you know, where it's proving to um, be a bit lucrative? Yeah. Um, well, presumably if you make music for personal reasons or you're trying to be a solo artist, you've got usually got some musical equipment at home 
um, I've been accruing musical gear for years and I, I um, uh, you know, am able to produce, produce to a reasonable standard, uh, you know, without paying studio fees. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's good. So uh, in terms of like how to make money with that, um, it depends what you're good at, really. If you're like, for me, my, I think I'm better writer than I am most of other things. Um, so I personally, uh, having like accepted the notion that my solo career as a serious uh, songwriter had pretty much, you know, gone down the pan at some point, uh, decided to find a way to still write and make money with it. Um, so for me, it's, I, I actually operate under an alias, um, as an anonymous writer in some very strange, uh, worlds on the internet that pay money, uh, either, either to utilize my services as a producer and writer. So, um, for example, recently I've been doing a soundtrack for a, a film, uh, like a kid's movie in, in the States, um, that's something I've been working on. There's, there's uh, working for people that have successful YouTube platforms is a good revenue stream. Um, and in, that, in, in which case, for me, I've been writing music for those platforms and then taking a share of the profits made from advertising revenue. So are these, after- are these YouTube platforms, they're looking for bespoke original, like are they just looking for original music or are they looking for bespoke? Like you, they want you to write it around whatever they're kind of, you know, they're talking about makeup, they want a makeup song or something like how, Yeah, I think like it, it, with YouTube in particular, it's, you can be more successful if you have something completely bespoke because there's, it's quite a tight ship in terms of how it's, it's run with uh, royalties and legal, legal issues. So if you, in, unless you have a completely bespoke original product as a YouTuber to post, um, you know, and just, just to be clear, I'm not a YouTuber, but I, I, I work, work with, people are. um, yeah, unless you have a bespoke product to work with, you will have to state cause they have algorithms that detect everything. You have to state clearly what's, what's being used. If you've got something original, that's extremely popular. I mean, it's, there's, there's not, a, there's not a lot of difference between, so if you have a really successful song that's bespoke to a video that's been made on YouTube, it's just like releasing a single up the charts, you know? And obviously if, if it's music, you can... Um, Whoever owns that music gets the royalty, so... They yeah, are. And, and also you get, to send, you get to send a lot of traffic to other streaming platforms. So basically the, the revenue that comes in from a successful YouTube song or clip or whatever, it then translates across to Spotify, uh, iTunes and really so if you you've then essentially got if you've got enough of those things out there in the world that are constantly streaming and ticking away then you reach a situation where at the end of each month you can recoup revenue from not only the all the YouTube advertising from all the songs but then you have all the, the revenue from the streaming platforms as well like Spotify and such Wow so what I, I guess, are you being paid, um, like, do you do get like an upfront fee and then share in the revenue of both the masters and the publishing across these platforms? Um, or are you just getting a straight up fee and they own everything 100% or is it somewhere in the middle? 
Yeah, it would depend on the on the person you're working with. So the main people I, I started working with, we because we didn't know how things were going to work out, and they didn't know either, uh, we started on a basis that they paid me a fee to do some work and then they'd cut me 50% in the, in the back end. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we uh, developed a relationship, you know, we didn't, we didn't need to worry about my upfront fee after a while because it was quite clear that we had a, a winning situational formula that's going to just cover us both. Yeah. Um, but yeah, generally that would probably be useful if, if you're working with somebody that you don't know on YouTube, or you don't, because you can never guarantee success with YouTube. And as as we've said, it's like it's an extremely saturated platform. So you could you could create something for a, a YouTuber uh, that they want to use, and then the clip makes absolutely no money for them or you, and you've essentially wasted a lot of effort and time. So yeah, until you've got a, a strong relationship with somebody that you kind of have an idea of how things are going to go, I would suggest getting an upfront fee. Um, but yeah, um, and you know, other situations for me, like like I said, working with a, on a soundtrack or something like that, that's, it's like a, a deal in of itself where you would have to negotiate whatever terms you think are right. Um, probably requires a bit of like research into what's normal, you know, for that kind of thing. Um, when you say so you're talking about um, doing a um, soundtrack for a film yeah so is that you know I want an upfront fee and a percentage on the back end or something like that yeah so that would be that would be definitely a a kind of 50 50, well in my case it was 50% upfront 50 on delivery and then and then there's a, a revenue share for all streaming platforms if the film you know if the film's successful the soundtrack's out there you're covered and you get 50 percent of the royalties uh coming in from the streaming of the soundtrack basically um but you know i whether that's whether that's a good amount or or bad i really don't know that's just me as a random guy trying to vote trying to navigate my way as a as a freelancer really it's like anything i don't i don't really know if that's the right way to do it so if you're listening and you uh you're wondering what the exact amount to, <laughs> to request is don't go by what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but i mean it, it sounds like you've done the sensible thing negotiate something up front that covers your time um yeah. so if there is if there is no back end you're still covered and then if that is a success you'll share in the revenue of that success yeah, I think like important important thing to state would be that uh, it's quite tempting to sell yourself short. I think when it comes to because like it's so hard to uh, to forge a career and make money from music, and you get very used to that feeling throughout your life. And unless it's been like a dream all the way, and you just mm. got you know, for me it's been like up and down, and I've reached a point where when I first started making money as a freelancer, let's say three, three years ago or something, I was, and if I was trying to broker some sort of deal with a client, I'd just be like, Oh God, I hope they give me this project because I really want some money. Mm. Um, and should I, should I, you know, you're afraid it's like, and you speak to any freelancer, they'll tell you the same thing, but you're afraid to oversell yourself because you fear they're going to walk away. Um, but most of the time they've already got it in their head already 
that they want you, you know, and they want you to do something based on, they've, they've usually done their homework. So you can afford to just like compare prices and, and talk to people, do your homework and like request a decent fee. Because otherwise you're just, you're going to, you're not going to be able to survive really. Mm. I mean, the worst they can do though is say that's too much. Can you go lower? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and if they if if they walk away after you've tried to like hit them with a fee, then what on earth? Like, what kind of yeah negotiation is it? You you were you were mentioning doing your research. Like, what would you what 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 would your advice to do as research? Like, where can you find this information? Uh, yeah, for me, man, I think like obviously look there there are a number of platforms online google something for me i've always just spoken to people that i've met and know in the industry over the years that would might be able to give me a bit of insight into what's normal um, mm. so yeah if you're lucky enough to have some people around that might have a clue that's good yeah no i th- i think that is it's there's one thing at the label machine as well that a lot of the members say that they find the most valuable is just being able to ask a question from somebody who's got experience and they can, and they can just give an answer because it, yeah. it, it's like, it's details, isn't it? You can read about generalizations or watch YouTube videos, but when you need specific numbers of what's actually happening in the industry, the only way you're going to get is speaking to someone who's, who's actually in there. Yeah. Right. Um, so, um, if you just sort of staying on the, um, being, you know, being a, a composer and writer, uh, and sort of tips and, and tricks, I guess, what, if someone did want to start doing music for YouTube or, um, films, what, what advice would you give them to, like, to find work and, and kind of put themselves out there? Um, ooh, yeah, I don't know, mate, to be honest. Um, I think this is assuming the person this is assuming the person is on nodding terms with like just how to write like writing reasonable music yeah you're saying you you can write good music so the person can do all that stuff like so we don't have to talk about that uh yeah you've got all your got all your music there you know got all your, you've got all your compositions up together <laughs> you've got, you got your compositions in a dropbox right um then I don't, I don't know. I, I guess, um, again, in my circumstances, yeah. um, I happen to know a few people that, that were able to help out a little bit with that based on having a pre-existing decade of working in the music industry and, you know, trying and failing and trying and failing, all that stuff. Um, that helps to have a few people to reach out to, a bit like the previous question. But I guess if you didn't know anyone at all, um, there are a number of platforms, I guess, that you can um, post your, your music to. You could perhaps you could reach out to YouTubers personally via the uh, messaging on the site um, yeah. and say, look, I, this is what I do. Uh, I like your channel. I think, you know, whether that works, I really don't know. But mm. perhaps that's a, an in. You can um, release snippets of your music on soundcloud and Bandcamp, and reach out to the community there that seems quite open i find both those platforms actually quite useful um and of all the of all the platforms there there is still a sense that um people seek good music and they repost and they 
aid each other in the in the progression you know um across which yeah. platforms sound soundcloud Bandcamp, and Bandcamp, the Bandcamp. The two classics yeah i mean that i've just found that having music on those sites um particularly sound uh, soundcloud have had music on that site for a long time and i think like um there's uh yeah there's a bit more of a if you if you attempt to grow a community on there it will work i think if your music's good you can uh you know reach out to people they might share it and so on and so forth yeah. it's a bit like the old myspace model in theory yeah um, but yeah i don't know man whether that stuff will so will pay just like you've got to be willing to put in a lot of time uh, knocking on people's doors i guess net, net, um, networking essentially and yeah. looking around in your own personal network as well are the yeah. two kind of areas that's it yeah Okay, cool. So I, I wanted to talk about um, a little bit about um, music trends. Um, now, I, I know this is probably, um, I guess, maybe uh, less relevant these days. Um, I mean, are you, well, no, I, I say that, but you've, you've got music that are, that's coming out on YouTube and then it's going across these platforms. Like, what, what have you been, where have you been finding the royalties are coming from um from the major platforms like we're, we're you know i guess in ranking like who's bringing in the most between you know spotify itunes amazon title oh mate i would love to answer that question with with some more detail than i'm about to <laughs> <laughs> do you just get a royalty check each I month and you're like i don't do my own accounting uh, um i sound like mega now don't I? <laughs> yeah, what does he do um, <laughs> Are you just successful to uh, do your own accounting? You can see the size of the mansion I live in, so like I don't think I need to answer that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, I just someone does the accounting. I wouldn't know where the street, where the major, w w you know, what's bringing the most in in terms of the mm -hmm. platform. But all I know is the, uh, you know, if yeah, in that's in terms of music on streaming platforms. YouTube, I know roughly what that brings me every month. Streaming platforms, all of them I take as a, as a singular royalty gotcha. amount. You know? gotcha. Yeah, so unfortunately can't. No, that's, uh, that's, that's fine. So the, when it comes to, I mean, I guess when you were doing music, blogs, did you find they were still relevant? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So when, I was do, so when I was a solo artist, or, you know, I, with a night, with a, a solo entity in the in the real alternative music world. Yeah, uh, yeah blogs, blog, there was a, definitely a period where blogs felt relevant. I think there was like a, con I don't know whether it was just my perception of it at the time, but I think around 2010 to 2015, um, I felt that blogs, blogs and music videos and the combination of those two as a promotional tool felt like a really relevant and powerful way to launch music. Uh, I, I don't know whether, again, it might be my perception, but since that time, I think the blog world is less relevant because everybody knows with the introduction of advertising on all platforms, uh, particularly Facebook, uh, having has really changed the, uh, the playing field a little bit in the sense that 
news sites, both musical and otherwise, are so geared towards clicks that they will just post anything and therefore the credi credibility of those sites um, in, the, in the musical blog world and, and elsewhere has gone down the toilet. Um, so I think there was a time between maybe 2010, 2015, when you saw a, a new act on a blog and you thought, oh, that looks interesting. I'll give it a click and see what the video is like. These days, I feel it's a bit different. I think we get the sense that there's just such a saturation of that market. And you don't really trust those platforms as much as you used to based on the ads that are being sold, you know, uh, per click. So how do you mean the ads being sold per click for a blog? Yeah, that's, 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 yeah, the sentence didn't make perfect sense. But what I mean is, obviously, the blog is gearing their their front page or the thing that you get on your feed to make you want to click on it. And uh, when you click on it, uh, you may get fooled into have being, uh, have clicked on something that's just completely irrelevant to you or just, or just lacking in any real substance. And I think, um, that is something I, I, I feel that, uh, it, it's made me unfollow and not, and not really take those things seriously anymore. Like I said, it's my perception. I'm now 37 years old, not quite next year, but I, but I'm, old enough to, to be, feel a bit disenfranchised by that situation. Uh, if I was younger and, I, and it was still fresh and I was excited by what, say, Pitchfork are putting out there every day, mm. um, then maybe, maybe I would still, still think it's relevant. When you, so that was, you were saying blogs and then going to watching a YouTube video clip. So if we took blogs out of the equation, is putting up a good YouTube music video still hold a lot of weight these days? Hmm. I tell you what, man, that's, that's an interesting question. I don't, I don't really know the answer to that. I think, um, as I said, I, I think uh, there, are there are examples of people still doing that, like a powerful video. I'm trying to think of one recently. Uh, if, I, if I try to think of a recent one, I'm going to say something that's really old. <laughs> <It's> Ten <laughs> years old. Like, yeah, be like, you know, that recent one, what was it, No Doubt, uh, Don't Speak. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah just one of those uh but no th there are examples if you do something that's like dazzling and huge uh okay uh wap cardi b right yeah uh, that's this is a great example of i mean this happens to be the biggest pop star in the world the biggest like rap rapper on the planet um dropping a huge track with a with a massive high budget video so it's going to be successful so it's like it's hard to really use that as the you know, as a gauge, but um, in terms of being like a powerful use of the platform, it's a good example of it. Um, but yeah, I feel like if you're your average Joe or like maybe a small indie band or something trying to put up a, a music video on YouTube as a way to promote your music, it would hint, in, in order for it to be successful, it would probably hinge on your YouTube channel already having a successful output. Um, Otherwise, it, it, it does run the risk of being buried, um, you know, without the, without the necessary promotion. I guess you can use, you can cross, uh, use, sorry, use different platforms. I was going to say something clever then, but you can use different platforms simultaneously um, to try and get as, as much promo and traffic sense of that clip as possible. I'm sure there are ways if yeah. you've got the right means and the, and the team to do it pay for facebook ads get behind it you know all that stuff they do work and they do reach people it's just like whether you're willing to, to do it um, yeah 
So I guess with when you say with YouTube, it's um, it, don't make an amazing video and just work it on YouTube channel. Have a long term game for YouTube, like build up your subscribers on YouTube, just like I guess you build up your followers on um, Spotify, um, yeah. YouTube, and Instagram. It, it's another channel to build up. So when you release something, there's a built in audience. Yeah, it's all. It all. Let's face it. I think. I think the answer to any of these questions, like related to um, utilizing the online platforms, is it's really hard. To, it's really hard to do. I think. Like, uh, but there's so much proof that it does work if you're willing to like put in put in the hours. Like, look at those guys. Um, twins, the new trend. Uh, you know those guys the guys that just like sit there like young brothers and they just sit there listening to um uh yeah uh, random famous songs of the last like 50 years or something and that's all they do they've got they've set up a brand and they just kept plugging away with it until one of them just hit you know um and uh and now everything they post gets you know at least 100,000 Hits. Now, and they, they, now do they it. review like new music as well? So people are like, I want to get my music on this channel because I need to get a hundred thousand plays. Maybe, yeah, maybe they should. I don't know if they've been doing that, but that's what I'd be looking to do if I was them. Did they with, got their merch as well lined up underneath? It's great. So you were saying, yeah. So I mean, I guess having having your merch lined up, setting up all these income streams is what you need to do, and have all these long tails is how you can create a career rather than just saying. Oh, well, I just need to get a. I just need to get a record deal and release an album, and then I'll and then I'll be loaded. It's not really the way it's going to work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think I don't even know what the situation is with label investment <clears throat> these days. But I'd imagine if if I was, a, I'd imagine the labels are far more reluctant to sign anything with anyone these days, unless it's exactly the right look and exactly the right fit. Um, mm. And I think they. I don't, as I said, because I've been out of that world for a little while, I don't really know, but I'd imagine that there is a bit more of a, a team element to the label and artists working together. I don't know, you, you probably know more about that. From a, yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely, you know, speaking to other label managers, what they're looking for in artists is they're looking to see that there's something already going, that the artist has, has created some momentum themselves, like, you know, it's not bad. Like people like, oh, you don't want to self-release your music because, you know, why does that mean you couldn't get a record deal? It's, that's wrong. Like if you can put some of your own music out there, you can get some buzz behind it. You can get it on some blogs. You can get it at like over 10,000 streams on Spotify. As, and then you go to a record label saying, hey, I'd like to run an EP with you or something. The label's going to go, oh, wow, you've done all this yourself. Cool, you get it. Like you're going to be a great member of our team. Like we're going to tell you to do stuff and you're going to straight away and do it. So... Yeah, I think it's I, I think it's definitely the first step in the music industry now is DIY and then it's building a team around you if you need to and part of that team could be a record deal, could be a publishing yeah. deal, could be a manager, could be an agent, etc. Um, but yeah, I think the days of unless you're under the, I think unless you're under the age of 18 and you can sell your yeah, yeah. youth and then you can possibly get a deal before you've really released anything. Um, on the merit of your talents and your and your youth, basically. But I yeah. think as soon as you're over the age of 25, you know it's it's it, it's DIY. Yeah. Until, yeah. You know. Exactly. Yeah. You probably you've had enough time. You've had enough time at that point <laughs> to get the DIY shit going. If it's not happening, <laughs> you'd be like, what, you, what else have you been doing, man? Yeah. 
Um, I, I wanted to ask about, and just because you've probably got a bit of an idea of like the YouTube royalties, are, are there, so if, if you're, and this is, this is more from, a, again, like a, a major record label point of view, but if you're going to invest a hundred grand to make a, a, an amazing music video, but you know that video is going to get a hundred million plays, is, does it, you know, what, what's the revenue generated off a hundred million plays is like, is that going to get close to that hundred thousand more or less? Do you know? Oh God, yeah. Um, good question, man. Um, so is the question just straight up? What is the, what is the amount earned on a click? Well, like, so, so you're saying hypothetical of a hundred million plays, how much money is that? in terms of like what you're going to make from ads. Is that yeah, I mean, and assuming you own the rights to the music, you're yeah, saying you, yeah. own, you own the rights yeah, to the music. You own full rights. Um, I'm setting this up as if I've got the answer to it, but I don't actually have the answer to, to the that. nearest To, to the nearest 100,000? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, are you, are you going to make thousands or, uh, you yeah, know? You, make, you can make a lot of money. You, there's, there's a lot of... Okay, let me think. Um, I'm just trying to do the sums because we've got, in some of the people I work with, we've got, uh, let's say we've got a track that's, I think it's about 30, I don't know, 36 million or something at the moment. Wow. Um, and you're like, I'm just trying to think, but this is 36 million earned over, say, like, it's been released for two and a half years or something like that. So gotcha. I'm just trying to do the sums as to how much we've made roughly on that on that individual song that's that's the only way i can figure it out um but yeah you're talking about that you're talking about thousands um thousands not millions obviously like on that i don't know what the click rate uh, the easiest way to do it man is just to look up online what the click rate or sorry what the mm. what the amount received per view is i think but i but but the apparent so something to notice that the views and the money you earn from the views can fluctuate based on time of season or like time of the year. So apparently um, there are different parts, different times in the year where the ad rates are reduced and the money you make is, is significantly lower because for example, um, in, I think it might be January, February time, the, uh, the ad rates are lower because people aren't selling as many products at that point. Perhaps in the lead up to Christmas or like in summer, the advertisers are just like investing a lot more in those ads, therefore you make more money off the clip. So, that, so I think it's affected uh, by seasonality, I think, you know. Uh, but yeah, again, sorry, I can't provide, provide a figure. Um, so is, that and th is that where a lot of the revenue comes from, is the advertising that's played on these? Pure, yeah, it's solely from that. So with YouTube, you um, you are you are essentially a, a partner, I guess. With so the platform uh, is the platform receive money from advertisers that get to have their pop up ad at the beginning of your clip. They make you a partner that receives a percentage of the money they get, um, and that's how it works. So um, yeah. Do you Make think anybody's sure. going to pay for YouTube um, premium? Um, yeah, I don't the only, know. The I, only reason why I ask that is, you know, I've, I've been seeing on the Reddit forums and what, and just people saying we're not going to pay for it. And, and also hmm. people starting to get annoyed at these 30 second to one minute ads behind, behind yeah. of things. Um, do you think yeah. that's... 
something that YouTube has got to do to stay afloat or is like, do you think that's going to change? What's your thoughts on it? I feel uh, as a slightly cynical guy, um, like I've watched clips, like <laughs> you can watch clips on YouTube of, of the YouTubers or users. They like to get quite frustrated with the scenario and feel that they can exercise some degree of power over a massive platform like YouTube. But in reality, we don't have any power. And I think like, it's the same with the Facebook um, ads, you know, when, so originally when you used to post something on Facebook as a page, so if you've got your, uh, you know, successful page with its 50,000 likes or whatever, used to go bang, I've uh, got a new single coming out tomorrow, come and buy it or whatever. Um, but they... And you get 50,000 50, of your fans would all see that post, essentially. Exactly. So they realized that they could monopolize that. And um, everyone was in, in uproar. Yeah, because you, you, you suddenly... I didn't really tell you, but one day you do that post, and like, oh, get ready, guys. Here comes a single. <laughs> like, like, cool, I didn't... Two Anyone? likes. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, two likes and a, uh, and a comment from your mum on there, you know. <laughs> and, um, you're just like, what the, what the fuck? Um, so, yeah, people were, you know, out, outraged by this. But what can you do? Like, what, what are you going to do? There's no, no petition in the world that's going to stop them exercising basic capitalism. And I think, like... Um, yeah, same with YouTube. They can really do what they want. And um, yeah. It's amazing it's been free for so long. Exactly. I, I see. I, I, uh, even though I'm a total cynic with that kind of stuff, I see everything as a bit of a bonus, really. Like, mm. that didn't really exist before. They are providing a service. Therefore, they kind of have the right to do whatever they want. Um, but yeah, it kind of sucks. It sucks that you get used to it one way and then they... They, uh, they change it. on the market and change it. You know? So I'm just looking over what is, uh, what is the, now actually so a couple, a couple of questions actually. One of them is what, uh, what rookie mistakes did you make that would, you would advise your 20 year old self not to make again? Oh man. Yeah. All right. Yes. I think um, I think I've probably mentioned it already. Biggest mistake I ever made was not taking a long look in the mirror at the beginning of my musical quest or whatever it was. To to as soon as I got a shot in the music industry in London, uh, I hadn't really taken the time to figure out what I can and can't do well. I think so. Pretty obvious advice, but just like play to your strengths, realize what it is you're good at and what you're not good at. For me, I just thought I was a jack of all trades and I could just go out there and do everything that everyone else is doing. Um, and I, was, and I, I wouldn't accept, I think part, you know, partly because you, if, you, if you're trying to be good at music, like you get this kind of, um, I don't know, you've got such a will to succeed in every area that you pursue, you assume that you're going to every time. And I yeah. think like for me, I thought I could be the ultimate, you know, live, I'd be bloody like Ziggy Stardust up there. Mm -hmm. I wasn't. And, uh, and uh, 
I wouldn't accept that that wasn't the case for years. Uh, and it took me, and, and, and the moment I accepted it, the funny thing is, and this is like way into the process, things started going a lot better for me, I think. Because, mm. um, yeah, just don't, ultimate advice for my 20 year old self, don't be an idiot, mate. Like, just honestly. <laughs> but it, you, it, it, like you said, it is, it is good at, I mean, yeah, pl- like know your strengths and know your weaknesses. And, and, you know, we've heard, we've heard that before, but I mean, I guess how, you know, how would have you, what would you say to yourself to, to try and figure out like, what are your strengths? Would it, would it say like, you know, just check, you know, check your ego and realize that you know, you're young and you think you can do everything, but you can't how, like, yeah, how would you kind of go through that process again to figure out your strengths? Oh, I don't know. I, I mean, that's the thing. It, it probably was quite glaring to, to most people. I think it's, it's hard. It depends on what type of person you are, what kind of temperament you've got. I think, um, some people, some people may be a bit luckier. They have like a decent dialogue going with a number of people around them that can say, look, mm. listen to me. Um, I think this, this part, and actually I remember there was a guy uh, that I worked with quite early in the, in the music business in London who took me to one side quite early and he addressed those issues with me. Um, but I was such a, such a hard headed dick at the time i just said yeah what do you know mate you, with your 45 years experience yeah, <laughs> and, so, uh, uh, yeah I, I guess like the, uh, yeah there's so usually find, some- find people's opinions you can trust and with experience yeah. and then when they and then listen to what they say i guess is, yeah. yeah exactly you must have had you must have had a few moments like that right where you just someone's someone's given you some advice and you've uh yeah you either heeded it or not you know yeah. I mean, if you get advice, go and write it down and then like read it every week or so and just keep like meditate on it. Like you said, like look in the mirror and just think about what they're saying and don't instantly dismiss it. Um, and I think like in your case, especially if someone pulls you aside, you know, it's, I, I know I've pulled people aside as well and you've really, it's not something you take lightly, you know, you really, cause you realize you can hurt someone's feelings and, and it can be quite sensitive. So you know, if somebody is doing that to you, do realize that they're not just doing it because they've got some ego trip. They're probably genuinely yeah. have a good insight. Another one is like, I think, I think it's important to have some kind of plan B uh, with your music career. Like, I think that's probably another factor that, that, that led me to perhaps make a few mistakes is that I put all my eggs in one basket with it to some extent. And I thought, well, if this doesn't work, then God knows what I'm going to do. Um, I mean, thankfully it's sort of all right at the moment, but like, mm. but for the years when you, when you're, when things aren't going your way and you're, you're pushing and pushing and it's getting quite stressful to try and maintain it. Um, yeah. If you, if you've told yourself from the outset that there's no alternative version of your life, then of course it's going to be, it's going to be, there's going to be so much added pressure to make it work. And I think that pressure for me, um, you know, had, had, had an impact on my ability to, to perform or deliver the way I should have, you know? Mm. Um, so, no, yeah, I, 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 I believe that there is a stigmatism in the, in the music industry where if you have a alternative income stream that whatever your 
working in a restaurant or a shop or, you know, you do graphic and design on the side as a freelancer, somehow that if you're not making all your money as a career musician, you're not a real musician or you're, or you're not a success. Um, mm. Whereas, uh, yeah, like, I, but I always believe you should have like a, um, a, a plan B going along. And also because ultimately the, you know, the world, you can't have everybody a superstar. Like you, the society doesn't function that way. People need to, you know, people, then all the other mechanics of the world that needs to keep moving along. Um, <laughs> and if we all wanted to play music, like, you know, if there's a large part of humanity that want to play music, yeah, we can't yeah. all be superstars. And, and if the mechanics want to play music as well, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so Rob, the, I mean, we didn't talk too much about your album, but what's the, what's the future going to bring? I know you said it's maybe a bit more of a hobby. Now, mm. are you going to keep writing? Are you still writing stuff at the moment? What, what's on the horizon? Well, mate, thanks for asking. Um, I, <laughs> I have, I love making, as much as I, I don't make money, I, I probably, I'm unlikely to, unless something weird happens. Um, I don't really make money from that. But what I have realized is, Making music all the time, as in doing it for a living and then doing it as a hobby, doesn't really work that well because it's bloody draining, like the whole process. So what I've done is, because I make music on a digital, in a digital uh, way, I guess, like using the usual DAWs and interfaces, yeah. you know, synths and what, whatever. What, uh, what uh, door do you use? <laughs> glad you asked um i use logic pro logic. one of the early versions of logic i think <laughs> i just haven't updated it um nice. but yeah so what i realized is doing that full-time as a job and all the editing and crap that comes with it to make uh you know bespoke production. commercial material for people is a lot of work and then when i kind of go to do my uh, indulgent hobby music my my um my songwriting uh and record that and i find myself doing it all over again in my spare time and it's something i realize i don't want to do so i've taken my personal music into completely into the analog realm so i've invested in a uh, reel-to-reel tape machine and um how's that working out <laughs> <laughs> that is a, there is a no, backstory wait wait but I do know that Rob has had some issues with getting reel to reels <laughs> delivered to Melbourne. It hasn't been as easy as what he <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we're strangely enough, uh, and the reason I didn't recoil in horror after you said that uh, is that apparently this this reel to reel might be making it to me after all. Oh wow! So we'll see. But yeah, so there's going to be a reel to reel. It's all analog. It's it, basically I don't want to be looking at a screen when I'm doing yep. my. I think that's what it comes down to. You know. You want a new environment, you know. I want a very tactile situation where I can, you know, mm. turn up the gain on something and uh, whether get the compression compression right on my outboard gear, <laughs> all that <laughs> stuff, without just dicking around with plugins all my life. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's not answered the question. What's going on with that? I don't know. I love writing music, and I will continue to yeah. do that. So, so hopefully, though, your perhaps your next album will be all analog and reel to reel potentially. Mm. It will be, yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, Thank you for your time, Rob. Uh, That was really insightful, Uh, particularly, especially with all the YouTube stuff. That was amazing. Mm, I hope it's, yeah, I hope it's of use to someone. Um, 
Mate, it's been great chatting. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Rob.